welcome to Streaming Into the Void, where we discuss all the streaming news for the week ending January 19th, 2024. This week, we probably make fun of Peacock. Hey, we were making fun of Peacock long before it was cool, okay? (laughs) I'm Kim Hollis, and I love snow. Well, I used to love snow until it kept me locked up for a week. With me are Tim Brighty, content creator and gamer, welcoming the rest of the podcast to winter. (laughs) See, where I'm from, we have these things called seasons, and in the winter, it gets cold, and sometimes there's snow and ice. Welcome to my world. (laughs) Do not want. Take it back. (laughs) Also, David Mumpower, author of Behind the Ride and streaming media analyst and living out the Jack Nicholson in the snow meme. I warned Kim that the people in the ballroom at the hotel are starting to make a lot of sense with their arguments. (laughs) (sighs) And the podcast is produced and edited by Raul Burriel, who's still thawing out. Where Tim's from, they also have this one thing called snow plows. (laughs) That is correct. (laughs) That is not a thing we have where we live. (laughs) All right. We've got a lot to talk about when it comes to ratings. But before we jump into it, we'll revisit a couple of stories from last week. Firstly, we now live in the era of the post-Peacock NFL wildcard game. How has the world changed? Despite our predictions, an angry mob of Swifties didn't burn down Peacock HQ. Instead, uh, NBC Universal is claiming that the football broadcast of the Kansas City Chiefs and Miami Dolphins wildcard game was the most streamed live event in the U.S. ever. And viewers got what they wanted as the broadcast cut several times to Taylor Swift in one of the luxury boxes. And there was also a football game. And then we've got all these headlines along the lines of NFL fans feel vindicated by Peacock's wildcard viewership numbers, what Peacock's record-breaking NFL streaming ratings don't tell you about how poorly it did, sharp difference in NFL's uh, playoff audiences on Peacock games broadcast on NBC versus not, that sort of thing. In other words, the only one patting Peacock on the back is Peacock. It was... I don't want to say a disaster or a debacle, but it was what we expected. They had an average of 21 million viewers, which for Peacock, you know, for a place that has 30 million viewers, fantastic. And they are going to make a lot of money from what just happened because God help me, Kim and I signed up for $29.99 to watch the game (laughs) because we realized the fact that our subscription, you know what, it doesn't even matter. It's a long story, but Peacock stole our $30 so we could watch football this year and probably again next year. But the games carried on conventional broadcasting and also streamed did so much better that we're talking about 48 million viewers. 21 versus 48, which number is bigger? One of these things is not the same as the others. The reality is this was exactly what we predicted it to be. Much ado about nothing and just a cheap way for Peacock to market its own brand. Peacock has biggest streaming live event in U.S. history, says Peacock. Pretty much. (laughs) Is it because it's like, we were discussing this before we started the recording. Now, is it that it was on exclusive to Peacock? Would it have been a difference if, say, it was on anywhere else, like YouTube TV with Sunday Ticket, Amazon Prime, which has had an exclusive game for two, three years now, or say even Netflix said, hey, you know what? We want to get in on, on this too. Would people have been as mad because Peacock is one of the services with the relatively lower footprints compared to everyone else? It's a good question, and I don't know the answer. Yes, I think Peacock is the streaming service people like to pile on, and so it may very well be that any other streaming service may not have gotten as much 
hate, at least in the social sphere, as Peacock, but it's really impossible to determine that for real. And the question is, what is measurable success for this NFL wildcard game on Peacock? If it's how many people watched it compared to, say, any of the broadcast games, yeah, a lot fewer people watched on Peacock than did any of the broadcast games. But is that really what NBC Universal was looking for here? First, it's difficult to verify claims of what the most watched live stream in the US is. And we do at this point have to trust Peacock because streaming numbers come from the streaming services. Of course, as a publicly traded company, they can't lie. So when they're saying how many viewers they got, we have to trust that it's accurate. Here at least are the bullet points. Peacock is saying an average of 23 million. I think David missed spoke earlier when he said 21, 23 million viewers. Arguably, this is not how you're supposed to measure number of live stream viewers, which is really why it's so difficult to measure this. It is, if we are to take them at their word, supposed to be the most watched live stream in the US. To David's point, yes, there are greater live streams globally. Weirdly, many of them are esports broadcasts like Riot Games and League of Legends. So that's unusual, but here we are. Also, they're reporting 27.6 million viewers in total from start to finish and 16.3 million concurrent devices. Although here it's not clear if all those devices were watching the football game, maybe some of them were watching Girls 5 Ever. So when we start talking about this, we have to realize this is still an emerging technology. And so the ratings haven't been agreed on yet. So the metrics people are using vary from service. There's one thing here that cannot be denied by anyone. This was the least watched playoff game of last weekend. So Peacock is like, look at us. We did great. Well, by any, I mean, you know, that's kind of like the Dallas Cowboys saying, look at us. We were one of the best playoff teams this weekend. We played the best out of any Dallas team this weekend is what Peacock is doing. It really is, to a certain extent, the equivalent of that. You were the worst. You had other competition and they outperformed you. So if you're going to pat yourself on the back about this, it's weird. It is super duper weird. But what we are going to keep covering because it matters, Comcast is going to report its earnings on Thursday this week. And when they do, they are almost certainly going to say there were a lot of people like us who paid the $29.99 to sign up, which means there should be more subscriber numbers. Now, those won't actually fall in the fiscal quarter being reported. They will be the month after that. So this story will actually come up again in three and a half months. But for right now, let's just focus on that part. And it is a fascinating sign of how much people People love the NFL because there was a Peacock annual deal for Black Friday that was $19.99. Now there was a deal for $29.99, which means you're paying 50% more because you waited two months and you love the NFL that much. And I feel like a sucker for the fact that that is how we describe ourselves at the moment. So from a certain extent, this worked for Peacock. And a lot of other extents where you just look at the numbers, people said they weren't going to watch it on Peacock and they backed that up by not watching it on Peacock. Yeah, this goes back to what I was saying about like what is measurable success for NBC Universal when it comes to this game on Peacock. If it is the number of viewers, yes. 
they lost compared to any other broadcast of a football game that weekend or really most any other broadcast of a football game this season. NBC Universal paid $110 million for this game alone to the National Football League. They were never going to make back $110 million on this broadcast. That was money spent on advertising for Peacock. The content at this point was irrelevant. The fact that the content was a football game was irrelevant. An average of 23 million viewers, a total of 27.6 million viewers, when their number of subscribers prior to this game was only a little bit more than 30 million, that is mind-boggling. How many new subscribers did they get? And a lot of those subscribers, out of spite, are saying, oh, I'm going to subscribe to watch the game and then cancel. As David pointed out, Peacock was offering a 12-month deal. You may subscribe and then cancel, but you have ended up paying for 12 months of Peacock. A lot of those people will not cancel for 12 months. And by the time that runs out, they may just forget that they had Peacock and continue renewing. This is in terms of subscribers, in terms of revenue for the streaming service. This was a win. Peacock may have screwed everybody except themselves in doing this. It's an interesting conversation. And I think that if you're listening to this, you're appreciating the nuance and the layers involved because Raul in one breath said, it was a $110 million loss. They were never going to get that back. And then he said that this was a financial win. And believe it or not, both those statements can be true. This is a loss leader to an extent for Peacock because during the early days when we were uh, reporting on all of the growth of various streaming services, they would use these ridiculous metrics. Max was the worst defender where it would talk about how many people like it theoretically could reach. And we knew it wasn't reaching those because some of them were like hotel rooms. There were millions of hotel rooms. Actually, what we knew about Peacock heading into this is it had 30 million subscribers and about 55 million people who watch Peacock at some point given a period. And Peacock has always been loose about whether that's logging in once a month, logging in once every three months. We don't know. But 55 million is their upper threshold, which means more than one out of every three Peacock viewers actually checked out the football game. And the only way that makes sense is if a lot of people downloaded the Peacock app for the first time or the first time in ages and actually tried it. And they were able to monetize many of those customers by putting an NFL playoff game behind a paywall. So it was a loss financially to pay $110 million, but it was also a strategy that may have long-term dividends. And thank you for saying that, David. The term loss leader was immediately what came to mind here. Ultimately, yes, Peacock wanted those eyeballs and they made sure people were aware of other content that was available on Peacock. Every commercial break, they were promoting a different show. Oddly, I don't think I saw a single ad for The Office, which I don't know if you knew this, it's on Peacock. And even more oddly, NBC is promoting the upcoming Olympics in Paris, which they will be broadcasting all events on Peacock using Emily in Paris. This is a Paramount show that plays on Netflix, but NBC is apparently licensing the character for their marketing and showing it on Peacock. So let that sink in. It's an MTV production owned by Paramount for a show streaming on Netflix. And Comcast is using it for NBC Universal's Peacock because apparently they don't trust any Peacock IP to actually do the same thing. And that just tells you everything you need to know about how effectively Peacock has created its own brands since the inception of the streaming service. They'll trust a popular show on Netflix rather than their own stuff. And that is maddening. And Raul is right. During 
during the game, we were having a conversation. We were tracking ads to decide whether or not they were marketing effectively. And they did a great job. I mean, they showed like the Continental, they showed the Traders, and they showed Twisted Metal. I mean, they definitely showed a lot of exclusive programming Peacock has created, but it's weird that they didn't show The Office. A lot of this just seems like Peacock, once again, has decided to throw money at the problem rather than come up with a viable solution. But this time, the love of the NFL is so ingrained in society, it might have worked. And in the ongoing saga of regional sports operator Diamond Sports, it looks like things may be coming to a conclusion. Yeah, apparently Amazon's investment is going to happen, although it's reportedly only about $100 million. $100 million at Amazon, that is couch cushion money. Much more significant is news that Sinclair is going to apparently pay $495 million to make Diamond Sports go away. You'll recall that Sinclair bought the Fox Regional Sports Networks from Disney and rebranded them as Bali Sports, spinning them off under the company Diamond Sports and burdening the company with a bunch of debt. Diamond Sports, barreling into bankruptcy, then sued parent company Sinclair for having been burdened with all that debt. If the judge in the bankruptcy court approves the settlement, Sinclair and Diamond will finally be separated and the lawsuit will have been resolved. There's still some details to be addressed as Major League Baseball wants nothing to do with Diamond Sports anymore, but the regional sports operator apparently still has five MLB teams under contract. It may be that MLB will terminate deals for any other games except for these five teams. And compounding this, reportedly, is a court filing saying that Diamond Sports wants to terminate the temporary contracts it negotiated with the leagues, MLB, NHL, and NBA, that kept it afloat during bankruptcy and go back to the previous contracts that were more lucrative to the RSNs. Yeah, so that last thing, the odds of that happening are about the same of my driving out of my driveway right now. Uh, I do not have the type of vehicle that can do that. And the bankruptcy judge is not going to say, oh, you know what? Since you're in bankruptcy, you can't pay your debtors. We're going to give you absolutely everything you want. That is one of those ridiculous asks you make so that you're more likely to get a compromise on one of your reasonable asks. That's all that is. But it's still, it shows you the absurdity of all this because Amazon is apparently going to pay if the judge judge allows it $100 million for this. Meanwhile, Sinclair, whose stupid idea this was in the first place, just wrote a check for $495 million to make it go away on top of the $10.6 billion they paid initially. And they were only able to pass along $8.2 billion of that debt to Diamond Sports when they spun it off, leaving them with $2.4 billion in losses right off the top, ignoring everything else. And now they've written this additional check. So they're out $3 billion for being idiots. And and Diamond has never had a chance, and that's unlikely to change. But we're continuing to monitor it because we're learning a lot about who is actually interested in MLB sports rights. And I'm excited to see Amazon getting into this particular game. So, Tim, anything that we want to discuss with regard to the box office? Uh, no. <laughs> Fair enough. Okay. So let's move on to the ratings then. Yeah, it's just going to be a little weird because Nielsen slacked off and took an extended holiday. So we, we do have two weeks of ratings to look at. 
Only so, barely, Tim. Only barely. Yes, exactly. I know. Thankfully, Variety came through for us because Nielsen sure didn't, didn't help with this information. So first, we're going to look at Monday, December 11th to Sunday, December 17th, 2023. And the top original show, I think last time we talked ratings, I was expecting The Crown with the addition of its the second half of its final season. But the top show is Reacher, almost 1.7 billion minutes for Prime Video. But there's something weird about this, right, Ro? Yeah. As you pointed out, we got the Nielsen ratings from Variety because the Nielsen website was not updating accurately or properly. Variety, evidently as a paying customer of Nielsen, got the ratings and got the right ratings. But even there, Variety is reporting that there was a glitch in the collection of some data. The way that Nielsen collects this data, to my understanding, is that it listens to what you are watching and determines what the show is. This is very similar to the content ID system on YouTube, where if you play a piece of music in your recording, YouTube hears that song and says, oh, I know what that song is, and then determines who's supposed to actually be getting the copyright and the revenue from that song. Here, Nielsen listens to the TV shows and says, oh, that's Wednesday. Oh, that's Reacher. And in this case, Nielsen seems to have admitted that, oops, our ID system wasn't working properly and we didn't actually capture all the data related to Reacher. And so, yes, Reacher did very well. Apparently, it may have done a lot better than we think because not all the data is there. Yeah, but still out of the gate with that many minutes, especially for a non-Netflix show, that's that's ridiculous. And it was just three episodes too, right? This wasn't like they dropped the whole series at once. This is this is weekly. This was three new episodes arriving on December 15th. So holy crap. I mean, we yeah. watched them. They were incredible. There you go. Yeah, given everything I'm hearing from everybody, people are watching the show and the ratings are backing that up. Uh, yeah, I, I, I know people watched and like the first season and apparently the second one they got even better uh, the crown meanwhile is in second it did add the final episodes of its final season during this ratings week uh another 1.2 billion minutes so not a surprise there would have been the top show if not for reacher and then uh a few things we, that we've seen before at least last time we talked about ratings third is my life with the walter boys uh 1.1 billion minutes for 10 episodes so three shows cracking a billion minutes this is impressive obliterated from netflix for 729 million minutes squid game the challenge a show that was previously on top of the originals chart 431 million minutes and yes the winner finally got paid uh schools <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> i guess the way it works is you when, when you tape a game show or reality something like this you don't get the prize till it actually airs so that's that's why <laughs> Uh, Netflix, Paramount Plus, we had a discussion about this previously, School Spirits. Why is it on both? We don't know. 425 million minutes for eight episodes. In Still six. not an original show. Right. <laughs> Still makes me all mad that it's not original because it's it's on both both services. Uh, Virgin River uh, added two holiday episodes a couple weeks ago, 398 million minutes, 54 total episodes. Uh, but new in eighth, Yu Yu Hakusho, 343 million minutes, four or five episodes. So, hey, good job, nerds. The five-episode series dropped on the 14th, so that is just a three-day number. That's good to see here. The live-action animes are doing pretty well. Yeah, for anyone who's forgotten, which would be evidently anyone who hasn't watched this show, a live-action adaptation of an anime, as Tim pointed out, of a teenager who dies while saving a kid, but then is brought back to do good deeds. I feel like I heard of this one because... Like happens to many animes, there is was apparently a card game based on it. And when that came out, I remember hearing it. I couldn't tell you anything else about it. That was actually probably how I was also first introduced to One Piece as well. Ninth is World War II from the front lines, 325 million minutes, six episodes. We saw that before. And wrapping up originals with Sweet Home, 282 million minutes for 18 episodes. This is a South Korean series. 
I was going to ask. <laughs> uh, season one was apparently way back in December 2020. And sure. Yep. Three years later with the uh, second season of eight episodes that arrived on December 1st. So this was the full week. But yeah, here it is. Interesting. Movies is still led by Leave the World Behind. Now, we were really impressed at the number it had with its premiere the last time we talked about ratings, and that was just a three-day number. But as I successfully predicted, it went even higher this week. 1.9 billion minutes. Wow. Names mean something when it comes to streaming movies. I think we, we talked about that last, I last think time. That's but that's so that, true. That's what it is. They go, oh, uh, Julia Roberts? Okay, I'll watch this. I'll watch that. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. <laughs> I, think you, I think you are absolutely right. If they see someone they know, I will say this. We were talking to David's mother last week, the week before, and she said something along the lines of Netflix is saying I should watch. And I'm like, well, there you go. <laughs> oh, it's it's David's mother's fault as people watch things that just Netflix tells them to watch. OK, uh, I mean, I, I don't think she's the only one who like is we've talked about their algorithm before and mm-hmm. how they push things. And obviously it works. This isn't like going for awards or anything, right? I feel like I haven't heard of it outside of it just being. No, no, it's no, it's not an awards contention. It's really a thriller, I think. And but, you know, that's the kind of movie that people will. Oh, yes. Yep. That's perfect for streaming because it it does feel like the awards bait ones just don't do as well, which has confounded us in the multiple years now we've been doing this podcast when it comes to award season. It's weird, but I also think that like over the last several years, some of the things that have won awards have been actively odd so I, i think some people have been put off watching some of those films too and second is the super mario brothers movie now on netflix of course 898 million minutes so still very very solid just trouncing the numbers that it did on on peacock uh, but new and third from Max, here is Barbie, 518 million minutes. That feels really depressing considering what a ridiculous success this movie was. Well, the one thing we should keep in mind, and I think it is imperative that we mention this, this was not a full week sample size. And we have seen recently that in the second week, titles really explode. So mm-hmm. Tim, why don't you go ahead and tell us, how did Barbie do in week two? Um, it is not on the movies chart for the following week. Spoiler alert. Yes, this did arrive on, on the 15th. But yeah, it's not here on on the following week's chart that will cover the 18th to 24th. How is that possible? One reason is it is the hol- it is right before Christmas. So the Christmas movies do take a big jump and monopolize the majority of the movies chart. But otherwise, this is just absolutely very, very strange. To be fair, though, let's say it had the exact same number of minutes, 518 million minutes in the second week. That would also not make the movies chart for the following week. But that's still, it makes no sense. It makes no sense at all, right. It should have expanded. And I mean, if you pull up Max right now, they will try and autoplay Barbie. I mean, I am confused. I can't decide if Nielsen has made an error or if we should just be, you know, grabbing pitchforks and torches and heading toward David Zaslav's office. But this is like shocking. That is the film of 2023. And you're saying when it came out on streaming, to the best of our knowledge, it hasn't made a ripple whatsoever. Nobody watched it. Right. It's been really hard to quantify big box office success turning into big streaming success. I mean, I am trying to think like Top Gun Maverick was like one of the biggest movies of 2022. And that didn't really seem to make a dent on the movies chart either, though. I mean, that that was also handicapped by not being Netflix and being on Paramount Plus. So I think that is a point against in the case of Barbie and Top Gun 
on, but so if it was on Netflix, it would mean more, but that's still really, really shocking. It's frustrating to try to determine patterns. It's a lot easier yes. when dealing with box office when yes. we have basically a century's worth of box office. Yes, and box office uh, was very reliant on, on patterns. They were there if you knew what to look for. This is not the case with streaming. Yeah, because then we can go back and look at an entirely different movie that was a hit in 2023 that didn't play initially on Netflix, and that would be the Super Mario Brothers movie, which we just talked about. Yes, it has just jumped to Netflix and now is doing great mm -hmm. numbers on Netflix as well, but it did well on Peacock as well. And so what's the difference here? Can we say that its audience, the Super Mario Brothers movie, is skewed more towards younger viewers? Not necessarily, because Barbie was also skewed towards younger viewers. Was it, though, outside of being Barbie? That's a good point. I would well, argue I that it's not. Yeah. I feel that whatever David Zaslav is doing at Warner Bros. Discovery, he's making Max less and less relevant. People have fewer reasons to be turning on Max. And so if you turn it on, yes, there's Barbie for you to watch. But if you're not turning it on in the first place, you don't know that this movie is available for you to stream. That is an excellent point. And it ties back to the discussion we had either last week or the week before that when Max quietly announced that they're going to continue to offer sports for free on Max because it was clear nobody was willing to pay extra for it. And they need that to happen because they need the eyeballs. So... A lot of mistakes David Zaslav has made in the past might finally be catching up to them, or Nilsson might have screwed up here, and we cannot rule that out because, let's be honest, Nilsson has had a really bad two weeks. We know you're a small organization now, but get your crap together, Nilsson. You're depriving us of content. <laughs> All right. We do have holiday movies taking up the next few slots, uh, all, all sorts of different services other than the Netflix. Candy Cane Lane has been here for a couple weeks now from Prime Video, 472 million minutes. Disney Plus's Home Alone, 455 million minutes. Elf on Hulu and Max, 435 million minutes. So just take Barbie's audience and then, you know, just take 80% of that. And that's how many people watched Elf. The heck. And The Grinch from 2018 from Peacock, 427 million minutes. Uh, one other new movie in eighth, Gran Turismo, 410 million minutes. This was a theatrical release earlier this this year that feel like kind of stumbled out of the gate. Yeah, it wasn't exactly a success. I believe it is a Sony production, which is why it's premiering on uh, Netflix as mm -hmm. the streamer. But now that I know it's here, I'll probably watch it. Yeah, the based on a true story of a guy who played the Gran Turismo video games and eventually became an actual race car driver. Always meant to play those during the, the original PlayStation days, never got around to it. Uh, Netflix also closes out the movies chart with Family Switch. We saw that before, 398 million minutes. And Leo, the Adam Sandler animated movie, 341 million minutes. Acquired is nine shows we have seen before, still led by Young Sheldon, another 1.4 billion minutes. As when that whole series showed up on Netflix, everyone started watching it because they didn't clearly didn't realize it existed before. Uh, our only new show is in 10th, credited to Hulu, Peacock, and Prime Video, which is just hilarious to me, is House, 177 episodes, 418 million minutes. So you take three other streaming services, add them all together, and it's still barely enough to make 10th. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. Okay. All right. When you look at the latest week we have from Nielsen, which goes from Monday, December 18th to Sunday, December 24th. So yeah, expect the holiday stuff to completely take over, especially on the movies chart. The top show still is Reacher, 1.1 billion minutes in first. So down from the, the three-day release, but that could be due to the Nielsen and or Prime's lack of information regarding the data collection. We'll never know for sure, but that is that is curious. But it's still the top show. Uh, and The Crown is still in second, uh, another 1.1 billion 
minutes for its full week of its completed season. My Life with the Walter Boys, still here also in third, 708 million minutes. But new in fourth, Percy Jackson and the Olympians. Two episodes, 572 million minutes. That seems very good. Yeah, there's a lot of crowing over at Disney Plus about how successful the show was. I've read some headlines using the word smashing records. I think it's all about how you parse it and just how nuanced the numbers are. But I think Disney's very happy with how well the series is doing. And how long ago was that movie series? Let's see. Wow, 2010. Man, I remember that was, you know, when any sort of young adult book series was being greenlit into uh, a multi-part series, hoping to capture, you know, let's say the Harry Potter craze and, and all that. And it, did they make a second one and then it just kind of fell off? Yeah, the second one made 200 million, which was nearly as much as the first one. But both of them were, their Rotten Tomato scores were in the 40s. They were not oh. good films. Mm-hmm. Right. And so they reinforced the fact people wanted to see a good Percy Jackson story. They just couldn't because Fox screwed it up so bad. So we We've come back to this now where Disney has been like, hey, Rick Riordan, these are your books. It's your franchise. Why don't you come in and tell some stories? And that has worked. And I think the point here that really matters the most, this is about 20% more than Loki season two's series premiere actually did. So when you just look at apples to apples, better than Loki at the start is pretty strong. And to their credit, my daughter, who's a big Percy Jackson fan, is watching the series and loving it. She's there every week for the premiere of the new episodes. She says it's great. And involving Rick Riordan in the creation of the series seems to have given him an opportunity to maybe change the stories a bit. Like maybe he gets to rewrite some things that maybe he was unhappy with originally in the books. Some things are being dealt with differently than in the past. And my my daughter seems to be all all there for it. She's loving it. Yeah, it'll release weekly from here. Eight total running through the end of January. So uh, I'm curious to see if it sticks around. This is most of the week for the first two episodes. They arrived on the 19th and these ratings began on, on the 18th. But that's still a very solid start, especially for, as we always say, not something not on Netflix. Obliterated from Netflix is fifth, 382 million minutes. Uh, returning in six, Car Masters, Rust to Riches, 345 million minutes viewed for 40 episodes. The fifth season arrived on December 13th. So this was the, the full week for it. So not a surprise to see it come in with that number. We've we've seen this before when, when a new season has arrived. School Spirits is seventh, 345 million minutes with eight episodes. And new in eighth, hey, from Peacock, Dr. Death, 302 million minutes for 16 episodes yeah it's second season of this true crime series telling stories of doctors who probably shouldn't be doctors (laughs) oh okay see i we definitely saw advertising for this during say oh i don't know an nfl playoff game that was on peacock it was one of the shows they were certainly promoting or at least was available uh, on peacock and i actually wasn't aware it was the second season i assumed it was some sort of true crime documentary but it really is a it's almost actually an anthology series so the, the first season was on a regarding one particular doctor and the second is is on another okay that's that's interesting to me yeah this premiered actually on the 21st of december so that's just a, a weekend number i hate putting asterisk on everything that's not netflix but we always have to say good for peacock uh, Virgin River is 9th, 262 million minutes, and returning as well in 10th, Gabby's Dollhouse, 58 episodes. Feels like there should be more with how many seasons this show has at this point, 251 million minutes. One of those shows that's probably always in the next 10, as we like to say, but we never really see those numbers, but it was a top-heavy week for originals, so it crept into the, the bottom of the chart there. Yeah, it's probably always hanging around, and it does feel like we're always getting a new season of it. Right? Yeah. 
movies it is still led by leave the world behind 983 million minutes so definitely a big big win for for netflix there not as quite a big win well maybe we'll we'll know on the next week's ratings rebel moon part one 966 million minutes Honestly, as terrible as the reviews were, I'm impressed that it got this much. <laughs> well, this did premiere on the 22nd, uh, so it is just the weekend number, and we're uh, quickly spread about it's terrible, so who knows? We could see it go up next week, we could see it collapse, because this is Zack Snyder rips off Star Wars badly. Yikes. I was all prepared to slam this, and then I started thinking, eh, it's still almost twice as much as Barbie did, so I don't know. They definitely tried to hype this up by doing, like, a countdown. You have to watch it right at the first possible moment. Mm -hmm. So while the fact that this isn't an entire week confuses me, I still think it might be front-loaded. We'll we'll find out next week. I do not think we'll still be talking about it in two weeks. That's what I'll say. I would agree with you, but we will probably be talking about it again at some point in a couple months because as I said, it's this is part one. Part two is out in April. You've been warned. I mean, so was that Mission Impossible movie, and they're not saying that anymore, so we'll see. <laughs> as expected, the Christmas movies that we've seen for a few weeks now take big jumps in the week before Christmas, as also as Christmas Eve is included in this week's rating. So third is Elf, 862 million minutes. Home Alone, 836 million minutes. Uh, Super Mario Brothers movie drops to fifth, 730 million minutes. Peacock's, uh, oh, okay. We do have a clarification here because we've been talking about The Grinch, but we're referring to the 2018 movie. The 2000, How the Grinch Stole Christmas, uh, the live action movie, 700 million minutes in six. I think it's important to make this nuanced note. This is the, yes, the live action one with Jim Carrey at 700 million minutes on Peacock. The animated one that came out in 2018, which in my opinion is the better of them, is not to take away Tim's Thunder, is at number eight here, mm -hmm. also on Peacock. Here's the thing. I'm pretty sure both those movies were available on Peacock last week, but only the animated one made it onto the charts. So this week, the live action one makes it onto the charts and leapfrogs the animated one. I really don't understand these patterns. I think there's an obvious thing here if we just look at it, because Tim, you discussed the numbers for the Disney Plus Hulu titles, which is Elf, Home Alone, and also National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, which mm -hmm. we haven't gotten to yet. National Lampoon wasn't even on the charts last time. The other two titles almost exactly doubled their performances week after week, which means the week before Christmas, everybody just threw on all the holiday streaming <laughs> films they could. And that that is actually not even me joking. That is readily apparent in the data. If you look at it, like just comparing the previous week to this one, it will pop your eyeballs out of yes. your socket. It is that noticeable. Yes, having the, the two weeks of data uh, to discuss at once, it is very glaring the big increase in the movie's numbers, especially for the holiday releases. Awesome. Part of the reason Barbie's not here anymore, because even the number that it had on the, on the previous week, not good enough to make the top 10 on the following week. I do also like how all these Christmas movies are in the same range, somewhere between the 860 million minutes and I think about 600 million minutes on the bottom end of the spectrum. Mm -hmm. It really is exactly like David pointed out. People don't really care what Christmas movie is playing. They just hit play on one and then six hours later, they've watched three. I figured out today that the three titles I mentioned, Elf, Home Alone, and Christmas Vacation, had 25 million viewings this week alone. And as a reminder, Nielsen has blind spots. So it is at least 25 million for those three titles alone. People wanted Christmas movies that week. I actually have an answer for you on how the Grinch stole Christmas. It was only available on Peacock between December 20th and December 31st. 
But that's okay because yep. it's a terrible, 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 <laughs> terrible movie. I can't even mention that movie around Kim or her eye will start twitching. It is down there for Gladiator for her. No joke. I hate it. Yeah, actually, the more amazing thing to me, too, is it's not just people are popping on Netflix and watching all the Christmas movies because they're all on different services. You've got Disney Plus, you've got Peacock, you've got Hulu and Max, which is, uh, as we've been dancing around, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation for the first time we've ever seen this on the chart is 7,649 million minutes. And then, you know, even Prime Video's Candy Cane Lane is still there in, in ninth or 97. So people are just, they're firing up whatever streaming service they feel like and they're watching something holiday related. We've seen this trend three years now that we've been doing and it fascinates me every single time movies wraps up with Gran Turismo 577 million minutes in intense which is actually okay yeah that that's a jump for the full week of its availability because it went from 410 to 577 but then dropped two spots that's how wild this movie's chart is the week before Christmas so everyone was watching Christmas movies on Christmas Eve go figure acquired is 10 shows we've seen before again led by young Sheldon 1.4 billion minutes most of the usual suspects are still here. Uh, Bluey is consistently a strong second now, which, which is watching the rise of that. That show has been, been impressive as it's taken over or Cocomelon spot used to be. SpongeBob SquarePants on Paramount Plus and Prime Video preached back in 10th, 440 million minutes. So yeah, that's a pretty wild two weeks of ratings there. And then next week, theoretically, all the holiday movies should fall off, but we'll wait for that data, hopefully uh, Nielsen gives it to us and I'm curious to see if we ever do see Barbie again and if we do it'll it may be not till it shows up on Netflix one day just wait for Netflix is, is what we'll tell you all in our green lights and cancellations this week there's a bunch of cancellations as Max has canceled both the flight attendant I say through gritted teeth and rap shit after two seasons and we're trying to figure out why Barbie isn't actually doing as well as expected on Max Hmm, Tim, you've got it. I just don't think people are pulling up this app much these days. Yeah, I'm just glad I won't ever have to ask, am I supposed to bleep that ever again? <laughs> There's a lot of sophomore series that are being canceled lately, though. Netflix at least used to give series three seasons before canceling them. Looks like Max isn't waiting more than two. The way you can tell we're all dinosaurs is we remember a time when an HBO show was a failure if it didn't make it at least three seasons. So here we are where the flight attendant getting a second season somehow feels like a victory with the benefit of hindsight. I am terrified for the future of Harley Quinn, by the way. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it, HBO still has some gems. I know that young people will be excited when they come out with new seasons of, say, House of the Dragon, or I know at least one of you has started watching the new True Detective, but Max just doesn't feel like it has that the killer app, as we call it. There's no reason to get Max right now. At least you can you can defend almost every other streaming service, even, even Peacock, to watch them, but I can't find a reason to defend Max. I mean, they're in the business of Game of Thrones now. It is the That's House it. of Dragons channel, and they're about to ramp up production on Harry Potter, but even if they do that, you know, you have to keep in mind, we're 18 months to 24 months away from the first episode of that. They're just going to go on cruise control, and I suspect that they're going to license some stuff that they find super cheap, and they're going to start pushing their Discovery Channel programming more. They're super cheap reality stuff because David Z 
Zaslav, God help him, can't see a difference. And it is just fascinating to watch this unfold because we're talking about the network that was synonymous with quality. And now you look what Disney does with Hulu, with the FX content, with all of that, it's all phenomenal. And Max doesn't have anything that justifies a purchase right now. When subscriber renewals come up, they're in some trouble. I watch the Studio Ghibli films on it, but if they didn't have those, I'm pretty sure David and I would be able to get some of the things we watched from them elsewhere and renew temporarily for Harley Quinn. Yeah, and just to a larger point, we can actually use a show to understand how this has happened, and that is the one I have jokingly referred to as that Lakers show, Winning Time. Winning Time had a spectacular first season and a second season that wasn't just brilliant. It set the table for four or five more seasons of television. They released season two at the worst possible time with no promotion whatsoever. The writer, Jeff Perlman, whose book was used for the source material, was openly begging people on social media to watch because he was promoting a Max product more than Max was. And hey, what a surprise. It underachieved in season two, and they canceled it. This is a feature, not a bug, folks. They don't want to pay for content right now, period. And to David's point about subscriber renewals, he's absolutely right, and Max knows it. I'm hearing reports right now as people try to cancel max they're getting offers to please don't leave so they're aware of the fact that they're in a difficult position when it comes to subscription renewals i mean i don't want to turn this into a different subject but this situation is perilous for them because they're broke right now and they have nba rights renewals coming up and if they lose the nba god help them and right now they don't have the financial strength to pay the expected increase in rates fees to license these products. So they have created their own doomsday scenario because Zaslav was overconfident about his ability to fix everything and to persuade customers what they actually wanted to watch. And now the customers are showing their spine and going, no, I don't think so. This is a self-inflicted wound that is in desperate need of cauterization. Otherwise, they're going to bleed out. And Apple TV Plus has canceled Schmigadoon after two seasons. There's another one canceled after only two seasons. I'm honestly surprised this will got a season two season one which was a parody of i guess the musical brigadoon was pretty well self-contained and so with season two they did a parody of chicago and dubbed it schmicago what would have been season three what the schmein king schmicked schmantum of the opera schmatz i've got a million of these schmamilton I, actually, I saw something online that says since Our Flag Means Death also got canceled, they should just go ahead, combine the shows, and call it the Pirates of Shenzance. <laughs> <laughs> and apparently they had written the songs for the season, according to the show yeah. runner and writer. It's like, yeah, we, we're all good to go. And then and then Apple dropped the axe. So yep. nobody's safe. That's right. All right. As always, we close out the show with what's been keeping us busy over the last week. And David and I have wrapped up our viewing of Echo which was so much better than I had anticipated it would be. By no means is it a perfect show. I don't want to mislead anyone, but it is fun. You'll enjoy seeing some of the characters there like Kingpin. I don't think I'm really spoiling anything to tell you that Kingpin's here. It's got a good group of actors as well, along with the lead, you know, with her her different cousins, Henry and Biscuits. They're just a lot of fun and Graham Greene is always fantastic and everything. So, you know, if you were thinking, oh, this is probably terrible, 
it's really not. Give it a shot and it, it won't take you that long to get through the five episodes either. What did you think, David? Yeah, I mean, this is going to be mine as well. So I'll just go ahead and chime in right now. I know all of the details about Echo. I know all the dirty laundry here. And Kim will tell you, I have been braced for the absolute worst for a long time now. This production was a mess behind the scenes. And what they did with the editing is fascinating because there was a lot of stuff that took place in New York City the kingpin stuff and they just made a decision you know what the oklahoma story works she is from oklahoma let's only do that portion of it and get rid of the other stuff and there are a few moments where you can tell the editing is just like comically bad i mean like there's a scene in a skating rink where there's an indeterminate number of thugs and you kind of find yourself wondering how many different fight scenes actually occurred here did we see all these people at any point because it's like there's four there's 16 <laughs> yes. there's eight and then there's 32 yes then there's a thousand and then yeah <laughs> It definitely feels like parody in that regard. But if you don't get too, you know, obsessed on that fact, the acting in this is phenomenal. I mean, absolutely phenomenal. Kim hasn't even uh, mentioned the character of Chula, who is quite possibly the best one in the show. And then there's a little girl named Tucklo, and her story is only told really in one episode in the past and just briefly at that. But she's phenomenal. There is so much to like about Echo. And uh, frankly, I think it deserves more promotion than it's gotten because Marvel kind of stuck it out there like, eh, I don't know. You guys watch it if you want. And now the reviews have come back glowing and it sounds like the ratings for it are shockingly good as well. So now's the time to push and go, hey, look, Marvel can do some really cool stuff. All right, Raul, how about you? This week I caught the premiere of the latest season of... Uh... Twin Peaks, which oddly also happened to be the premiere of the latest season of True Detective. This one had it all. The girl whose unsolved murder haunts an entire town, the aboriginal mythology, the woman who is fed clues from the beyond, the dim-witted or maybe too naive deputy, the quirky townspeople, the folksy sheriff who's just trying to make sense of it all. And so is there any doubt that I would love this season of True Detective? We're only one episode in and I'm hooked. This season is is subtitled Night Country. Jodie Foster is police chief Liz Danvers in the small northern Alaskan town of Ennis. Just as the sun sets for the last time of the year and the town is plunged into 24-hour darkness, she's called to a local research station where all the scientists have suddenly gone missing. The clues she finds point her towards an unsolved murder that led her to a falling out with Detective Evangeline Navarro, who's played by Callie Reese. Could there be a link between the unsolved murder and the missing scientists? Danvers and Reese will have to put aside their differences to understand what's happening. The series is moody and eerie and expertly crafted. It grabs you from the very start and pulls you down a rabbit hole of mysterious occurrences, bad blood, frayed relationships, drug and alcohol abuse, and a town full of people with more baggage than a 747. In the end, much like Twin Peaks, what you really want to know is who murdered the girl and what the hell is going on, but getting there is going to be quite an adventure. All right. Thanks, Raul. And how about you, Tim? So in the wake of people having to subscribe to Peacock to watch football, I saw more than one person ask, what the hell else should I watch while I have this four month? I mentioned a few shows, including The Traders, The Continental, there's the psych movies and The Office, of course. But the top of everyone's list was Poker Face, which I finally decided, oh yeah, I should probably finally watch this. And I'm a couple episodes in and it is so good. I wish I had checked it out sooner. It's a lot of fun. It's smartly written, you know, very funny. And I'm 
I'm really looking forward to watching the rest of the series and getting a season two. So yeah, if you signed up for Peacock to watch football, do watch Poker Face. There were a couple other votes for someone piped in with Twisted Metal is worth it. AP Bio was there. And someone even went to bat for Ted, which surprised me, but they said it's better than, than it looks from the previews. Peacock certainly has more stuff to watch on it than, uh, say, HBO Max right now. This is what I'm saying. <laughs> And that's really sad. (laughs) Thank you for listening to Streaming Into the Void. Please consider subscribing wherever you listen to podcasts, and we welcome your feedback. Remember that we're on social media at Streaming Void and online at StreamingVoid.com. If you like what you're hearing, please consider becoming a supporter on Patreon at Patreon.com slash Streaming Void. Be sure to watch for us again next week. 